0: If you can find those important questions to your life, that you will see them arising in the way you've gone on, and the places you've been, and the things you've done. So, so, and then there, then there's the confirmation of that by the reality that you've experienced. So you've brought a level of consciousness to a great, you've brought from a great depth of yourself to a level of consciousness, something that really can uh, be brought forward. You know, every day.
1: Throughout history, the great questions have been asked, and great research has been undertaken, always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration.
0: What we're trying to demonstrate here is the idea that if you're going to approach an inquiry, if you're going to approach anything, a good mindset is to not assume that we may be able to climb Mount Everest just from anywhere. We need to get to base camp We need to make sure we have with us the right provisions. We need to make sure that we're fit. In other words, we need to engage in a whole preparatory work to create the scaffolding to embark on a journey. And we are still using the conversation today to substantiate that point, which is that you need to make the journey before you can make the journey. Join us for part one of this two-part episode into Inquiries into Humanity's Future.
2: Welcome to Portals of Perception. And welcome to Becoming Human, which is one of the portals we are developing in Portals of Perception. This is a portal where we inquire into humanity's future. And with me here today are Avshalom, Peter, and Kiryaki. And we have some starter prompts developed by Kiri and Afshalom. And Kiri could you start us please with the prompt from you? And again, the beauty of how you frame this, I asked you, how would you propose to start this inquiry? And this was a spontaneous response, free of any concern of needing to shape the inquiry that is part of what we do in the process. So, where would you get us started?
3: It's great to be with you, and um, I would. I am wondering whether we allow ourselves, and how often do we allow ourselves to be inspired and uh, to be encouraged and to encourage from our own brilliance, but also from the brilliance of the other person, or of the other nation, the other religion and um, do we spend our whole lifetime resources energies thoughts in forever in a perpetual fight and uh, in retreating and attacking or should we better spend our time and resources in forging an environment of cooperation conversation intercultural respect And is that just a dream, or can can it be a pragmatic business plan, like those first humans that during and after the Second World War actually took their care to form UNESCO or the United Nations, trying to bring peace in the minds of men and women during a devastating war for humanity? And... Does it have to start outside of us, or does it actually start from inside of us, from the way that we think? And how do we reprogram our mentality towards, and how do we educate ourselves, our loved ones, and the younger generations, towards fostering ecologies of cooperation where anyone and everyone is important and
2: can win. Great. So, seven questions in one. (laughs) We wouldn't expect anything less from you. So, why would you frame the question in this way? Why are these important or framed differently? What propels these thoughts, these inquiries in you? How do you come about to the... I'm seeking for the feeling, the energy that propels this inquiry.
3: I mean, reality knocks on our door. For instance, the coronavirus with all the craziness and the lucidity that it evokes. I think it's just a starter of what may also appear in the future. (laughs) And it shows us that together we're stronger. So. It feels that we are going from an era of charismatic leaders to charismatic teams, where cooperation is very important, and where everyone has a part to play if he's at the right, he or she is at the right moment at the right time, and the configuration of each nation and each religion and each person. Is important it has a part to play
2: okay so giving you're offering a little more context to the formulation of the question you're not fully revealing the the energy or the propelling sentiment although it contains in what you are already offering and the energy that you bring to these inquiries so so great let's hold this as one starter and Actually, my instinct is to ask Avshalom, what uh, inquiry do you bring to today, and then let's put that on the table as well, and let's let's play jazz with those two themes.
4: Right. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you for the opportunity. When and if I turn my mind to think about the future, which is a challenging tasking, because uh, we are now these days persuaded to live in the present. Um, Many things turn up, which uh, range uh, in the spectrum between hope and fear. And I see that I am confronting from what I uh, see, hear, read, feel, many scenarios that currently exist in the world that cover all this range. And um, a lot of them are fear-based, which is something that needs to be addressed. And I want to bring with me the sense of the hope and the richness of the possibility that exists for us humans, and to try to forge a certain view or vision, because vision in this is very important, that sees what can be done that can improve our situation. Against the backdrop of a, a lot of difficulties, troubles, and suffering and, and unfortunate things that uh, are happening and have been happening in, in our history for a long time. So it's basically hope and vision for a much elevated future than, uh, that we can come up with.
2: And your inquiry is how to begin to think and explore those possibilities with that range in mind the fear, and the hope. Yes, indeed. Okay. So a very uh, rich spectrum to begin with. And my sense is that the most productive way to do this is to embark on a journey. Because a true inquiry is not a destination. A true inquiry is a journey. And I'm thinking that what I want to try to do is to gradually open how I process what you both put forward, because you shared with me some of those themes in the last couple of days. And so I had some time to think how to process this and what I think will be productive. And Peter is here with us as well, that as we go through this, we do a step at a time and we reflect on the process and that we use this to build and share some practices as we approach the potential of those inquiries because what an inquiry really is is it represents latent potential and when we embark on the journey that the inquiry summons us to we are ultimately embarking on the journey of releasing and revealing that potential my start a premise with any inquiry, especially inquiries like those you presented, is always that I'm, I cannot assume, I cannot take for granted that I'm in the place where I am ready to embark on, on an answer. And I always have this working assumption that I need to do work in myself before the approach to response to the inquiry can be taken up. And there are three practices I often use and those three practices, one of which I already demonstrated with Ki, which is I, I would often ask, why is it important? What propels the inquiry? Which is the practice of trying to sense into the potential of the inquiry, more in the reasons, the motivations, the sentiments, the power that potentiates or or is dri- is driving the the person framing the question. So that one practice that we're already sensing into. Then there are two other practices and what they're informed by, they are informed by two premises. The first premise is our friend, uh, always borrowed and inspired by our friend Albert Einstein, who said that we cannot solve our problems at the same level of thinking in which we created those problems. In other words, we have to embark on a journey to come to a different elevation or a different angle or create for ourselves a different vantage point from which to look at the problem because it is our level of process, level of existence, level of thinking that fashion the problem in the way we see it. That's premise one. The second premise is that before we can be prescriptive, before we can offer an intelligent response to any inquiry, we might need to be diagnostic in actually revealing more of what the case is, such that as we do so, that becomes the invitation for the intelligence that we are seeking. Because we're not merely seeking to answer a question, we are seeking to invite the intelligence within which there may be various answers to those inquiries and promotions from Kiriki about how can humanity transcend conflict and war and come into collaboration and cross-pollination and operate at a higher level, which by the way, if we can do that, we can answer some of the inquiries from Avshalom about the hopeful future rather than the fearful future, one in which there is actually sustainable, regenerative story of the future rather than a scenario that ends up in um, some kind of a terminating event for humanity and for the planet. So these are the the two premises that often guide me in when a question is presented, actually taking a step back, staying with the question, allowing the question to percolate and, and ferment in my process before I launch into what might be a way to think about it. Now, the good news is I've developed this practice not as a philosophy student, I've actually developed this practice as a pragmatic consultant in the world of business. So I, in a way, I have the validation that this approach works both on philosophical, spiritual, developmental inquiries and on real organizational, strategic, real-life issues. And I can bring those two ends. Let me pause here just um, to provide you a space to respond, because I'd, I'd like for us to, to do this in a collaborative way. And so every, every step that we make, in this case, I'm trying to instantiate the infrastructure of the process that I'm going to propose. And I share these two premises, the the Einstein provocation and the diagnostic versus prescriptive provocation to, in a way, reason why we're going to take the approach that we are, going, we are about to take. Let's see if anybody, any one of you want to make any comment or response to that so far.
4: Yes, I would, Aviv. It is very clear from uh, what you have quoted from Einstein that uh, changes need to happen in order for a different result to occur, and one of the biggest questions is what kind of changes are necessary to get a different result? Um, it is quite a common understanding in the world these days that uh, you cannot really change the world before you change the way the humans that live in this world and behave in this world and cause things to happen in this world would start to do it in a different way. It would provide a totally, and it can be a totally different result. That's part of the areas of the answer. That is quite uh, understandable today. The changes need to happen inside each individual. And from there to filter through to families, societies, communities, and eventually leadership, because uh, leadership is uh, paramount in in creating the state of affair that we are in. Um, So it's another big question. How do we get a different kind of leadership?
2: You are... Naturally, accelerating us three, four, five, six, seven steps in the conversation, and I don't blame you for it. it it's all right. D- these are the territories we're about to move into. The the two caveats I'll, I'll offer, or two awarenesses I'll, I'll offer to the points you, this main point you you made, which is which is the Gandhi point, okay? Which Kiriaki spoke to as well when she said earlier, when you said earlier, to change the world. I must begin by changing myself. The challenging awareness in what you're offering is indeed that many people will begin by resisting even the premise that they need to change anything about themselves. They would want the world to coalesce and conform to their set of values and beliefs. But so that is one of the problems we need to address. This is why I said we have to be diagnostic, because what you're surfacing is one of the challenges to face. And I'm going to propose not one, but 12 challenges that we need to uh, address if we are to address this territory. I think you can intuit what's coming your way. <laughs> so anything at this point, Peter or Kiri that you want to offer, just as we are, again, what we are trying to demonstrate here is a practice. The meta-practice we're trying to demonstrate is the idea that if you're going to approach an inquiry, if you're going to approach a domain, if you're going to approach anything, a good mindset is not to assume that I may be able to climb the Everest just from anywhere. I'd I'd need to get to base camp. I need to make sure I have with me the, the right provisions. I need to make sure that I'm fit. In other words, I need to engage in a whole preparatory work to create scaffolding to embark on a journey and I propose that journeying with an inquiry is a bit like that and we are still in using the conversation today to instantiate that point which is you need to make the journey before you can make the journey to use what you framed, of Shalom you need to ask what are the changes that need to take place before a change can happen same idea or we need to build a scaffolding before we can build a building. same idea
0: I yes. would add in the uh, the thought that having the right question is something that can take you quite a long way in your at least in the at any point in the journey. The right question is is a good leader and teacher, and I've always found it curious that you could ask pretty much anyone that you meet, what is the purpose of human life? And I don't think you'd get two people that would say the same answer or say it in the same way or come from the same place about it. And so as a civilization, it makes me wonder, well, if we don't have consensus about that, why aren't we trying to find some consensus about that? Why isn't that, you know, when we look at why the stars, why the universe, how does the planet work, all these things, we rarely frame it in a way that that would help explain our role in it or what we might be doing here. So I would, you know, I would just say that, that's curiosity of the, of the, we've all been born into something already in progress. And so how do we understand that and, and our role in in that thing that, will, that was here before us and will be here after us? How do we understand that? it? might help us in our time here to explore those places.
2: Absolutely, so you launched us uh, straight into, when I said there are two practices that <laughs> I'd like us to uh, use as the approach road, as the infrastructure setting, as the scaffolding that we build for those two overarching themes from Kiryaki and of Shalom, the, the first practice is what you're launching us into, Peter. It's what I call permanent line inquiry. Okay, what's a permanent line inquiry? Permanent line inquiry is when you develop a question like the one you just framed. What is the purpose of human life? What are we doing here on earth? And you can ask this in a variety of different ways. It's when you you develop an inquiry like this and it becomes for you something that carries a, a potent desire and you are developing an insistent passion about the inquiry such that it drives you and it's something that you're working on in the hope to unlock a mystery in the case of your question or solve a problem, perhaps in some of the other questions we already surfaced. And those inquiries, they become permanent line inquiry when they are lodged beyond a surface level interest, beyond a surface level curiosity. When it becomes something that's lodged in your mind and in your semi-conscious mind and your unconscious mind such that it is working in you and for you even when you do the dishes or when you watch a movie or even when you're asleep such that you will wake up in the middle of the night and sometime in the morning and you have a new thought and you may want to capture it. That is an example of a permanent line inquiry. And I will propose that most of the great achievements we appreciate, whether it's a great achievement in art, whether it's a great achievement in science, whether it's a great achievement as a of, of a leader of a an important figure in history, they were all propelled by some kind of permanent line inquiry. We mentioned already Gandhi Gandhi was somebody who was inspired by a core permanent line inquiry which was to do with it changing the nature of man, and ultimately the permanent line inquiry of the future of India and the independence of India. Mandela, who was influenced by Gandhi, had his permanent line inquiry about the future of South Africa. Marie Curie had her permanent line inquiry. We already mentioned our friend Albert Einstein. He obviously had his permanent line inquiry, more than one. And so on, you can go to reflect on, for example, great inventors, Benjamin Franklin. Extraordinary statement and inventor and influencing figure for the founding fathers of America. He is an example of somebody who, even at the age of 16, 17, formed a permanent line inquiry about the character of men which is why he shaped those 13 virtues that he determined will go with him for the rest of his life. Then when you look at somebody like Thomas Edison, or you look at the Wright brothers, who, just to name a few examples, a couple of examples, who pioneered and um, expanded the range of invention and innovation in, in a variety of fields, they were inspired by their permanent line inquiries. And I sense that you have already, the three of you, shared some of the area inside of which you have a permanent line inquiry. So I'm proposing to offer a simple step-by-step process, three or four-step process, to formulate a practical journey, how you can develop your permanent line inquiry. But before I do, anything, you'd you'd want to offer on anything that we've covered so far, please
3: very inspiring uh, to hear Yavid and uh, Shalom and Peter and in relation to the methodology of how to approach an inquiry I would just like to add from my part the Socratic code of uh, one thing I know is that I know nothing and uh, this allows a fresh approach and a question just like Peter said And maybe humility, also, that Ashelon mentioned when we gathered today. And um, also, what I advise my daughters is that if any dogma is trying to hike you, just run, (laughs) run away from dogmas because they lock you, they lock your mind. And I think one part to approach things is if we really want to be finding pioneering and innovative approaches and ways of thinking, is that we must challenge dogmas, and we must actually turn upside down even the very stones that we are sitting on. Otherwise, we are going backwards instead of forwards. And uh, I think this is an approach but also in relation to what you just introduced about how deep runs your inquiry or how it is propelled by your intuition, by sentiments, by vision. I think that this is something very important that now science is starting to realize how these propellants can actually make a big change. And not just science, also the business world and also education, entertainment, uh, medicine. It seems that we've been running a lot on a more academic approach of things, uh, neglecting the feeling life and the driving forces of that. So I find great validity in reapproaching how these two can actually work together hand in hand
2: yes and right there you see that something that we will come back to when we talk about the the 12 challenges you just framed one of the 12s but still in the context of what you're offering about inquiry and i think your invitation is let's be daring in the sense of being prepared to challenge almost any assumption we, we use, anything we take for granted, such that we are prepared to ask the questions that are fashioned by the very questions that we ask. Because often when we frame inquiries, we already have some working assumptions and we need to ask about each of the inquiries we will frame, what are the assumptions that shape that inquiry? And that's a legitimate and important provocation and and challenge. So here is what I'm proposing as a simple practice, because what we want to do here is approach the territory of inquiring into humanity's future, whilst we also offer practical briefs and practical tools and practices that people can pick up and and use. And we already offered some. And what you just offered the Kiriaki about, well, first begin with a Socratic awareness that the one thing we know is that we either know very little or we know almost nothing. And that requires us to challenge the very ground we stand on. So here are the simple steps. Suppose somebody just joined this journey with us now and they say, I don't know, it's the first time I'm hearing about permanent line inquiries. How can I do this? What can I do with it? Well, step one, is try to frame the broad territory or space of your inquiry. So for example, in the sense of both your inquiries, you could say that humanity's future is the broad territory. And how to approach, how to think about humanity's future in a constructive and a productive way perhaps brings it a little bit more into focus. And perhaps the question from you, Kiryaki, is, if I was to bring into it just a little more higher resolution, it would be what is a regenerative and an inclusive way for humanity to care for its future? And specifically, perhaps if we were to bring just a little more resolution with what you offered, what's a way to transcend conflicts, to transcend wars and subjugation, to find a redeeming, collaborative, co-creative way, for people to bring forward the best of each party such that we are building a unified or a unity-based operating system that is working on a premise different than a zero-sum imperative, one that's based on winners and losers. So that's a kind of trying to keep still a broad space, but bring some definition to the territory. That's step one. And so you have both done step one. And certainly Peter done step one in saying, what's the purpose of human life? Why are we here on on Earth? I propose that step two, and this builds on what Kiryaki just offered, which is engage with it, not just from your brain, but from the many inner lives and your intuitions and feelings and such that what you do in step two is you, so you write on the top of the document, whether you use your keyboard or whether you do it on, a, on the old fashioned pen. And what you do is you try to write under that question, formulate several questions, or in fact, as many questions as you can form, maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 50, different aspects of the inquiry space and, The purpose of this step is to expand, to use up the thought patterns that you typically travel to get to a point where you begin to use different angles, where you begin to push your mental patterns beyond the habitual fashioning that you often use to create space, to enlarge the space for new inquiries. And... As you do this, you pay attention and you look at the very questions you frame and you begin to develop questions on the questions. Like, for example, one of the first questions you asked, Kiriyaki was about the freedom to be inspired and to inspire. The freedom to encourage and to be encouraged. So, well, there is a question about that question, which is what is that freedom? What prevents it? If could we say, could it be that it's very natural for us to be inspired by each other to and to inspire each other? And could it be that if that's not our natural response, that something is holding us back from that natural response, what is it? And how might we be able to help facilitate the unleashing of that kind of way of being with each other and, and interaction? So... I used to, at various stages in my life, have a notebook that I would fill with questions and inquiries, and sometimes hundreds of inquiries. And it led me to step three. Step three is very simply, so you look at the 40 or 50 or 60 questions, and you do one of two things. You, you either grade them, each one of them, say on the one to five energy scale, one is this is low in energy, five is yeah, I'm really interested. This question really resonates. And you then see which of the questions bubble to surface to be the, the top most compelling inquiries. And then perhaps you look to find within those the, the top three or the top five or the top seven most compelling inquiries. And then you work into them together, and you see whether you are able to synthesize a certain unifying inquiry, well, that becomes your permanent line inquiry. And now you come to the real test. Now the real test is, can you find that this inquiry has the naturally arising place in your process when you're not in front of your keyboard, when you're not in front of your pad? In other words, Can you come back to it? Is it naturally arising for you in your various meditative, contemplative practices? And there are ways to cultivate it, such as you'd say, okay, this is my permanent line inquiry. I'm going to work on this permanent line inquiry for the next seven mornings, for 20 minutes. I'm going to write without thinking very much. I'm just going to write the question on the top of the page and write for 20 minutes, whatever comes to me about this inquiry or for 10 days or for 40 days. I've often done that. There was one year I even decided I would do it for 365 days, many, many years ago. I was young and a little more crazy than I am today. And uh, I applied that practice. And so I discovered the power of permanent line inquiry. And that's ultimately what how you want to use that practice. It it is something that you come back to and if you found the right permanent line inquiry, and I will say this sentence in a different way, if the right permanent line inquiry found you, you are using the inquiry, the inquiry is using you, you're using the inquiry to propel you to horizons of consideration you wouldn't without it, And it uses you as a vessel, as a tool, as a conduit to access through you the intelligence streams that it potentially needs. Premise being, there are intelligence streams that are seeking to be accessed and to be unleashed. And why this is so important is because what you already said, the three of you, you each presented an inquiry And the implicit inquiry with the inquiry was, well, we don't seem to be able to access the intelligence to bring humans together around that kind of inquiry. Why? Why is that so? And what might be necessary to enable that? And I'm proposing that one of the ways to work with that is to use the technology of permanent line inquiry to bring to bear, to invite, to engage intelligence streams that will offer us even more of what we might be able to reach for together. So that's the permanent line practice. And I just wanted to put those three or four steps together in case somebody wants to just take that template and apply to anything. Apply to personal development issues, global issues, business issues, health issues, relationship issues. You can simply use the same three, four steps to codify your approach. So number one, identify the broad territory. Number two, download and formulate as many questions as can be under it. Number three, evaluate and synthesize the high energy, high resonance questions and synthesize from it the the lead, the the spear of your inquiry, that permanent line inquiry, and number four, now begin to work with it in such a way where you let more than your brain, more than your mind, you ultimately let your intuition, your feelings, the care intelligence in you, the love intelligence in you, the relational intelligence in you, the fascination intelligence in you, all those different intelligences that can access human process to work through you to enrich and empower you in the pursuit. And you, there is a point where you begin to feel that what's coming through you is wiser and smarter than you as a person. That tells you you are now beginning to swim in the vein of an intelligence stream that is interested in your inquiry. You are no longer flying solo. You are flying with something that is interested in your inquiry, which perhaps is a hint in relation to Peter's question about what's the purpose of human life and what are we here for? Could it be that we're here, to, between other things, not to fly solo, but to swim with potent, interesting, elevating intelligence streams to create that kind of reciprocity with those potentiating, more-than-human-causing realms that, that enable people to unlock the greater range of possibility that can be available for them, which we always feel and sense with anything that's truly inspiration, inspirational in the fields of art, uh, certainly music, philosophy, and even in, on the global stage in terms of uh, world leaders that that inspire us. There is something about what they become a vessel for that compels us. And I'm proposing to think into it today in the context of intelligence stream that can join our processor. I said a lot there. Let me pause here and make some space for uh, anybody to uh, come on this.
0: Yeah, I would just, I mean, that was a, a great template. And you know so much in it. I appreciate that, and I would just say the same thing in a different way, because the phrase that came came up in me is is if, as a general question: What is what is your question? Is there a question that everybody has or has had or in their life? And I often find if I write say I write a question down and then say it's okay. Why do I like that? And then I'll say. Okay, well, why is it important to me? Okay, why did I think that was a good idea? Or what does that take me to? Where does that come from? So I keep asking questions about the question to try and just kind of see where it leads, what it can uncover. And, you know, so maybe there's a kernel in there that, that can be found at a deeper depth. And then, then I would say, okay, well, where, where do I see that in the arc of my life? has it been working unconsciously in all these choices I've made and places I've gone? Uh, Because I think if you can find those important questions to your life, that you will see them arising in the way you've gone on and the places you've been and the things you've done. So, so, and then there, then there's the confirmation of that by the reality that you have experienced. So you've, brought a level of consciousness to a great, you brought from a great depth of yourself to a level of consciousness, something that really can uh, be brought forward, you know, every day.
2: And when you are able to trace the inquiry through the arc of your life, it is true to say, factually true to say that that has been a permanent line inquiry. It followed you, the line of your life, throughout the arc of your life, even in times where you perhaps before you formulated the the question in a conscious way it was still it was already active in you and you have also demonstrated the practice in the way you as the chief editor here in portals of perception you you had one question at the top of the homepage even before we launched the site live and After two or three months, you updated that question because you kept thinking about it and you changed, I think, just one word in that formulation. And it moved it from a question that resonated eight. Well, I was using the the five scale, so let me not bastardize my practice. You moved it from being 4.2 out of five to 4.6 or 4.7. I don't know if it's the five, but it's somewhere up there. And that's part of the practice: continual search and continual refinement.
4: If I may, David, uh, alongside what you've just presented, uh, the idea of a living issue, because I feel it's a it's a potent term to bring into the territory. I cannot, in my life, uh, think separately of a permanent line inquiry without the idea of a living issue, which, in way, I believe, comes first. Because uh, all the great people that you mentioned uh, had a living issue about something which gave rise in them to many inquiries. So I find this is very important to locate and keep alive in a life. Then the question just uh, follow. And one needs to uh, find a way to arrange them. And uh, another thing that I wanted to add is... uh, We are used to looking at the great people as the source of the solution. (laughs) And another thing that needs to change is uh, all the great men have gone, now it's your turn. It's the personal responsibility and the capability of each human to be part of the change, to be an active part of the change. And that's why the permanent line inquiry and the living issue of each individual is so important into any successful process.
2: And you're obviously making that last point together with what you offered at the beginning, which is the sense of humility, rather than the sense of aggrandizement. Because we live in a time where you're right that all the great men and women that we know to quote their names in history are off the world stage. At the same time, we live in a time where the one of the great conundrums is that you have all the tools and the technology for people to become their own self-aggrandized version of whatever they think they are. And I know that's not what you're proposing. You're proposing more the idea that the royal and the noble property is not something that belongs to few, but is potentiated in each and every life once you become present to that essence on the inside. And that in fact, that's part of what we are seeking. So I see you are edging us to move towards answers, but I'm, I'm holding the horses back here because I'd like to still introduce practice two, which will help us become more diagnostic. But I think Kiriaki wants to come in on something before we go there.
3: Yeah, just to say how brilliant this practice is. And uh, yeah, it's a very useful tool. And it feels like you start something and another intelligence kind of joins you. So yeah, we often find that this happens, especially in creating something, that you start something. And uh, if your inquiry, if you persist with your inquiry and you generate around it, it often happens that something else that you never thought about comes in. And uh, in relation to this, I want to say that it's interesting that behind every question, there is another question. And what gives birth to that question? What is the need that gives birth to that question? What form makes the conscious formulate it or put it in that language? What is the unconscious need that is causing, that is a causing factor? And then I suppose that once you touch upon this unconscious need, then a lot of things to formulate a picture or an answer from your experience, from your childhood, from the film you saw, from the book you read, from something your mom told you or your grandmom told you 30 years ago, you know, a bit like uh, El Quiro from Angatha Christie, that he, he has all this information and suddenly this becomes important to de- decipher a crime or something. So, yeah, information or knowledge that might seem uh, not important gets important and might be the exact key and the exact answer to your inquiry once you catch up on this core need.
2: Well, that's exactly the reason why, at the beginning, when you asked, Frame the question, I asked why, what propels it, and this sense of getting in touch with that potent desire and the passionate need that inspires you or what Avshalom calls the living issue. It doesn't really matter whether it's the chicken or the egg or the egg and the chicken. The permanent line practice is ultimately a way to get in touch and hone and formulate and become active and operative with this process in you because the reality is that many people have a living issue. Or strong sentiments, or strong desires, but they don't—they hold back from bringing those into a conscious practice that actually gains some traction and leads to some results. And that's partly why we we offer that. Actually, let me say this: So, what have we done so far? We have so far demonstrated a couple of practices, but the meta-meta practice, which I offered at the beginning, was that when you are facing with a large question or a simple question, you treat the question, you treat the inquiry not as a destination, but as an invitation for a journey, a journey to enable a journey, an infrastructure that will enable you to embark on the construction of what you want to to construct. And so that's what we've done, first half of what we've done so far. And here I'd like to introduce the next practice which is so often when I'm facing a question, I will complement it with the reverse inquiry. So for example, if the question is, what might be a way for humanity to transcend its horrific past and discover a new operating system, one that is not grounded in zero-sum, game, but is ready to embrace the best of all parties, suppose that was the inquiry and suppose the essence of it was this intuition that Kiriyaki articulates and brings to us about a sense of unity, then I would take this question and I would reverse the question and I would ask, okay, what holds us back from that actualization or that elevation? or what stop situations must be released, such or need to be transformed, such that we will truly be able to access that future sense of unity. And by the way, I said at the outset that we are prepared to ask here inquiries that may come across naive on behalf of the toddlers of tomorrow because we assert the permission to be engaged in an inquiry in a cynicism-free zone. We assert the permission of human life to be defiant, ferociously defiant of cynicism. Cynicism in the sense of cartelling the range of what we can dream about, what we can envision into, what we can explore. So I would ask a question like this and what I will sometimes do with a question like this which is ultimately a diagnostic inquiry. It's another way of saying, what are the problems we need to solve just in a, in a more open-ended way? What I will often do is, you know exactly, because you've seen me do this before and we are practicing it, and I, let me bring this up. You know what I'm gonna bring up? I'm going to bring up, I'm going to be proposing that we use the technology that we call Loomwork. I've demonstrated on several other occasions loom work. So, this time we will not do a step by step brief for loom work. And if Peter, as the chief editor here of Portals of Perception, will insist that we sometime do a practice run for loom work, we will do it separately. The idea of a loom is you have a question or you have a title. So, again, some focusing area, and then you choose to bring up three boxes or seven circles, or nine elliptic shapes, whatever you like to do. I often like to bring nine or 12 boxes because these are good numbers to work with. And what that allows, it allows us to approach the journey free of the compression of a linear or chronological path. The premise being that human life is much more of an orchestra than one instrument. Each one of us, we're not a trumpet. We're not a trombone. We are a full orchestra. So where, what I find is when we inquire into a question like what stop situations hold humanity back from transcending and releasing a greater life-affirming, creative and collaborative potential, you need an orchestral piece in response to that. You need a symphonic arrangement, not, not a solo instrument. So you bring one box, but it feels limiting. So you bring three other boxes. Now, some people will panic when they see that, but, or panic when they see that. But if you think that each box, or if you don't like boxes, you can do uh, spheres, is actually a portal. And what it allows you, it allows you to begin to journey into one way of approaching the challenge. And then there is something that comes next to it, but you want to keep it contained. And then there is a third dimension and a fourth dimension and and so on. And before you know it, you have nine or 12 dimensions. And you're able to go deep into each one of those, or you're able to go and explore the relationship between any combination of two or three, and the permutation is endless in terms of the potential to explore the inquiry. All this is before we are beginning to seek to answer the question, this is just us seeking to be diagnostic about the challenges that we are facing. And my proposal is that we go now box by box. I can tell you right now, each box could easily serve us for a 60 or 90 minutes starter conversation. That's not the intent. The intent is to give a very high level starter to each one of those, And because I will propose now what I will try to assert at the end. Some of the boxes that we will come to are so compelling that you will easily find genuine, truly believing people who will express the sincerest conviction that if you solve that one issue, the entire story of humanity is redeemed to a new permission and elevation range. And they believe so passionately that that is the case, that they refuse to see any other problem but through the lens with which they find their passion. And I will assert that we actually, to truly answer the question from Kiriaki, we need to address all 12 of those spaces that at the moment are blank and probably more than 12, I just ran out of space. So I landed with 12, easily could become 16. And I'm actually cheating on the way because some of those I'll be using one space to put two. And I will propose at the end that the challenge you are proposing by asking about the unity issue, the unity premise, the unity promise, that what you are inviting us is to be reflective of those 12 challenges. So how about if I bring them one at a time and we have a bit of a brief conversation on each and use this conversation today as a sitting conversation, we can come back to any of those at any point in time later. And I know that on the run-up to this conversation this morning, Kiriaki produced your Loom of which I know nothing about. And you might at some point say, hey, enough with your loom, let me share my loom, which I will welcome. Mm-hmm. So how about that as a, as a way to proceed? Okay, so one more thing about looms. Sometime we will bring an inner logic into the loom and we will say the bottom la- the lower line will be foundational principles, the middle line will be starter considerations. the top line will be advanced considerations. Sometime we will look at this in terms of past, present, future. Sometime we will look at this in terms of high, middle, and low, and we need to define what we mean by high, middle, and low. On this occasion, in the interest of easiest access for anybody that will join this, I'm gonna start this by the most obvious easy access, somewhere in the middle. We'll travel through the first eight, the first eight, the two rows at the top, in an area that is perhaps less obvious and less where often our inclinations will be, but perhaps would be very natural to approach this.
1: Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.